Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Excuse My Rage, the podcast where we conduct the ultimate informational interview with people from all different backgrounds and businesses, unlock the gatekept secrets of the professional world, and hopefully help you get a little closer to wherever it is that you want to be. I'm your host, Emma Isaac, and in today's conversation, I chat with Meghna Chakraborty, a producer and performer who recently released her documentary, Ascending, which captures a historic moment in global music at Coachella 2023, where six South Asian artists redefined the festival experience and global music landscape. Meghna recently completed her MFA at the University of Southern California Peter Stark Producing Program for film, television, and new media and has grown an amazing social media following, showcasing her talent, pride in her culture, and ultimately, her passions. I am so incredibly excited for you all to hear her story, so without further ado, let's get into the interview. Megna, hi! Hi. You guys, this is a little bit fake. We just had some we just had some problems on the back end with our sound, but we're all good now. We're both so excited to be here, right, Megna? I'm so excited. This is I'm I'm literally so excited. I can't believe this is happening. It's been so long. Have you ever done a podcast? I have like a while ago, like another friend's podcast. This is my second time, but I'm actually doing a couple or a couple more in like the next like few months couple months really so this is like really good okay this is good prep work then because this is going to be like the very friendly podcast and you already know me so it won't be high yeah pressure. no I was like this is this is a good way to ease you know, into it ease into it yeah and I've I've like listened I remember listening to like one of your you had a different podcast before right yeah two podcasts now it's been really really fun yeah. but yeah I'm like so excited to talk to you you're doing so much <laughs> it's actually crazy let me just intro you a little bit so that people know everything that you're doing and who you are. This is Meghna Chakraborty. She's an amazing producer, wildly talented performer, wildly, wildly talented. Like I watch your TikTok videos and on Instagram and I'm so incredibly oh impressed God. every single time. <laughs> okay, guys. Also, she just co-produced and directed Ascending, just completed her MFA at the University of Southern California for producing film, television, new media. Such an inspiring story to me, honestly. I mean, an inspiring person, but a really inspiring story that follows because you're so actively representing your culture Mm. through everything that you're doing, which I think is so incredible. And I just like first off the bat want to know from you, little Megna, would she be so surprised that you are where you are right now? Would she be so proud? What do you think? Wow. Well, first of all, thank you so much for like hyping me up like that. (laughs) Um, No, I think it's really crazy to even just like reflect on all of that. And I've thought about this actually recently is how would little me feel? And I think that she would be very proud and in like disbelief. And I honestly, I, I feel like everything that I do is for little me. And I like, and I think that like in the past couple years is when that started to feel like it's actually happening. You know what I mean? Like I feel like I was – younger me was like such a dreamer. I was like such a Pisces. I was like always living in my <laughs> head. Um, I had like all these crazy, crazy dreams. Um, 
And I grew up in the Bay Area in the Silicon Valley, which was I'm very grateful for my upbringing, but I grew up in like an environment where artistic professions were not normal and it was difficult to see people succeeding in that space and it was difficult to see people from my background and my culture succeeding in that space. And then, you know, being South Asian, you're like the model minority. You're like, you have to go grow up and do well in school and become an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer. And I know that's like the stereotype, but it's a stereotype for a reason. So I just feel like little me was um, very like a big dreamer, but I always thought those dreams would be impossible. And I was like very pessimistic about my future for that reason, which is really sad. I feel like kids need to like grow up feeling like they can do whatever they want and be whatever they want. And I feel like that is something that I tried to inspire in my work. But yeah, I think like younger me, all she wanted to do was dance and tell stories and like make stuff that inspires people. And um, I feel super, super lucky that I've been able to like create that life for myself, you know? Yeah. When you talk about those big dreams that you had as a little kid, were there tangible goals that you wanted to achieve from them? Or were you just like, I want to be a performer through and through. I want to be inspiring people through and through. Or was there like a specific stage that you wanted to be on? Was there a specific thing that you wanted to produce? Yeah. No, that's a good question. I feel like they were a little bit more vague. And like I remember I was like, I want to be – I loved writing. I was like, I want to be an author. I want to write a book one day. I want to be a – I was always really interested in like journalism and, and, um, you know – telling like the stories of real life people and I kind of moved away from that but I feel like with this documentary it's been a crazy way to like come back to that um and then I always wanted to perform I think the most intangible dream I had was like I was I want to be a pop star (laughs) (laughs) didn't we all want to be a pop star we all wanted to be pop stars I was Um, a pop star for far too many Halloweens like that was a very repeatable Halloween costume uh, for me that's so fun I know so Yeah, I think I had a bunch of different dreams. I had, I will say like, I, the, like in a, in a more specific sense, I was always like, I hate that there's this perception that you, you know, train and you do all these, you, you train and spend so much of your childhood on these hobbies and on these passions. Mm -hmm. And then you turn 18 and you go to college and then you kind of just like, don't do them anymore. And I always was like, I don't want to just like spend so much of, I I grew up dancing so much and I was like, I don't want to like dance for the first like 18 years of my life. And then just like, I'm an adult and I don't get to do that anymore, you know? And I was like, I don't want to be like 60 years old and like telling everyone around me, like I used to dance back in my day. Like I wanted to like accomplish things within the dance world and like, but never, I was never like, I want to be a full-time dancer. I think for me, that's like another like tangential dream was like, I want to create a life where I'm able to do multiple things and like if, and like find ways in which they can intersect. But I mean, I've always like, now that I'm a filmmaker, like it's, it's incredible. And it's also very difficult. And I'm very grateful that I have the dance side too, because that was like one of the pieces of advice that my, um, the chair of our program, his name is Ed Saxton. He produced The Silence of the Lambs. But he told us, he was like, this is a really hard industry. You're going to face a lot of rejection. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs. So find a source of joy outside of your career. 
And I feel very, very lucky that I have dance as that source of joy. And it is a part, it is like a part-time career for me, but it's like something that I feel like I can control and is more consistent, um, especially with social media. Like I'm able to still express myself through dance, even if I'm not like booking gigs or whatever, but that makes it so much easier to like withstand the ups and downs of like filmmaking, you know? Yeah. It's such an incredible point that you're making too, of saying the sentiment of like, I used to be a dancer as opposed to I am a forever dancer. I think about that with people that like played soccer, even if they played soccer or like a sport in college and then like post-college they're like, oh yeah, that was just one of my great hobbies, but I don't even, I'm not even a part of a rec team anymore. It's things like that. It's like, why, why can't you do it into your adult life? And it's also really cool that you have been able to find that balance of it still being a passion for you. Because I think a lot of times, like when people start to make money, fortunately, from things that they're passionate about, Mm -hmm. some of that love for it does, it's taken out of it. So it's kind of amazing that you've been able to toe the line in it. Yeah, yeah, no. And I talk about this with a lot of my friends who are dancers who don't do as much dance professionally, but they still practice it because they think, you know, it is hard, like getting paychecks from a hobby that you're so passionate about and you know, competing for dance gigs, like all of that makes, can suck the fun out of it. Um, I feel like I also make sure that I have hobbies that are just hobbies. Like I love, I grew up singing. I love singing, but like, I'm very happy just like singing for myself in my shower when I'm alone, like having (laughs) fun with it. And I'm not trying to like, like dance is so, so fun for me, but there is an element of stress these, you know, in the past few years, which comes with, you know, it being a big part of like my public persona and career, you know? Yeah. That's really interesting. I want to bring it back a little bit in college. You know, you say you, you wanted to be a dancer, you wanted to be a performer. You're now a filmmaker, but in college, did you hold on to that dream or were you studying something different in college that you were thinking, maybe I'm going to take a different path? What was the route like for you to now get here? Yeah, I was a business major at USC. Um, it, business was like not something that I was excited to do. It was a compromise with my parents. I wanted to do journalism, but I only applied to like select journalism schools. My dream school was Northwestern School of Journalism. I didn't get in, but I got into USC, which was I, – I was super excited about USC, but I had applied – business for USC. And that was the compromise because I wanted to do journalism. My parents wanted me to do engineering. So somehow business is a compromise. I don't know. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I think, I think it was just like, you know, in my head, it it was like more broad, you know, you can apply business to any industry that you're excited about. Like for me, I was like, okay, fine. I'll do business. I'll study entrepreneurship. Maybe I can own a dance company someday or a dance school someday. Um, I did not like then I realized business school is like not really entrepreneurship it's more so like accounting (laughs) banking consulting like those are the tracks that they try to funnel you in and there was definitely you know I had an applied analytics as a minor for some point I was recruiting for consulting at some point like I definitely was very confused and trying to like fit into what you know business school is telling you you need to do. Um, I did join a dance company. I was on like a school dance team and then I joined a dance company at the 
end of my freshman year. And I think that like changed my life because it was a dance company outside of USC in LA. I worked with a choreographer, um, Joya Kazi, who I'd looked up to for so many years. And I feel like through that experience, I met so many women in LA, women from different backgrounds, different ethnicities who were, you know, full-time creatives. And a lot of people who are full-time dancers in L- or who are professional dancers in LA are also like actors or filmmakers or doing other things. And I feel like you asked if like I, I, I thought about filmmaking in college. I mm-hmm. feel like I just never even let myself go there because I thought it was yeah. impossible. I think I kept trying to figure out like and even in my college applications and like when I would apply for like clubs and stuff, I would always be like storytelling, storytelling. And I, and I tried to apply that to like marketing is storytelling, you know, <laughs> yeah. creating slides, yeah. is storytelling, like brand management is storytelling. Like I kept trying to like find ways to apply storytelling to like all these <laughs> like non-traditional things. storytelling things. Oh yeah. 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 That's like so relatable. Actually. It, it's so funny. Um, but I just like was I was like, yeah, I will find ways to be a storyteller, but like it's not going to be through the actual industry of storytelling. <laughs> um, so, funny. so funny. But I think that dance company is where I met so many people. And I was like on set and I met South Asian women who were directors and actors. And I was like, I think community is so, so, so important. Like I just like grew up feeling like a little bit alone and it's crazy now because I've connected with some people who grew up in the Bay Area who felt similarly but we just like didn't know that back then you didn't you didn't we didn't cross paths we didn't talk about it so I think finding that community really really helped and I think like my junior year I remember I was studying abroad in Milan and I was like applying for like I had interviewed at Apple and like Google and like all this stuff and I was like I don't want to do this like I want to work in entertainment And then I applied to like a marketing job at Amazon Studios and then got that job. And then I got, yeah, because I was a business major. So I was like the more or the, the, what would make sense to go into this industry is through marketing, Mm -hmm. telling the stories of, you know, connecting consumers to these, not to like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not trying to like diss. No, I get what what you're saying a hundred percent. This is just my journey of like, you know figuring out the kind of storyteller I wanted to be, you know? Mm -hmm. So then, yeah, I feel like that job at Amazon Studios put me into the entertainment world. And um, I graduated from USC with my business degree. I had a, I added like a media studies minor. I dropped my analytics minor. And then I worked in um, multicultural marketing at two different agencies. And I feel like I, I guess like bringing it back to what you said about like trying to represent my culture. I think I was always very cognizant, like why I love storytelling, but why do I, why am I so fascinated by media and entertainment is because I feel like it has this power to like reflect our culture, but also influence our culture. And, you know, I grew up around a lot of kids from different backgrounds, but I just felt like, you know, first generation Americans, like kids of immigrants, a lot of them were very embarrassed of their culture and their heritage. And I was, I always wondered, like, there was a part of my life where I, where I led a double life. And it's really funny because like now I feel like I don't at all, (laughs) but there, but there was a time in my life where I like hid, you know, I did like traditional Indian dance and I hid that from like my friends at school. Like I was just, 
I, I was very much living a double life, but I wasn't, it, it wasn't like I hated both sides. It was just that I didn't know how to like have them coexist. And I think that when I went to college, I even wrote, I literally wrote about that in my college application essay, but I was like, I want to like exist in the way that I am. And it's like, I'm a, they, they say they, they, I don't know if you've heard of this term called like third culture, but it's like kids who don't belong to, you know, the white American culture, but they don't belong to their parents' culture. Like we're part of this new culture and we, and like from any background, like whether you're Asian American or South Asian American or Black American, like whatever your background is, like if you're a part of this third culture, there's this connection. And I feel like it's a new, newer thing. And I was like, I want to help empower that generation. And like, I don't want kids to grow up feeling embarrassed of their culture and their parents and their heritage, you know? And I think a really easy way to do, not an easy way to do that, but a very powerful way to do that is to tell these stories in media and like reach people, you know? I think you're so right. And it's a common sentiment, I think, across, like you're saying, many cultures for children in particular, because it is kind of hard to navigate specifically I think when you're always trying to fit in as a child, but you're also at the same time trying to find your identity, mm-hmm. but there are not people necessarily that have the same identity as you, especially if you are of any kind of mixed cultural background. So it's like having all of that going on at such a young age and not really having representation to look up to is a really challenging thing. So I think even you doing this now and showcasing your culture in ways that are really accessible it's like everybody loves dance but it's not just dance like it's traditional to your Mm -hmm, culture mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you're then bringing people in that are like either of your culture or of people that are not and are just like this is amazing that she's embracing it so much so I think it's amazing thank you no I thank you I think like I started to reflect on like why like even though I had that double life and I feel like so many people can relate to that I was never like rejecting my culture And I I was always trying to figure out why. And I feel like that's because I found so much joy in my culture, specifically through music and art and dance. And I was like, if I could feel that joy and pride in my culture through those areas, like I want to spread that to people, you know, And, and, and spread that with pride. Because I feel like when people see somebody just, you know, going about in the world the way that they are with pride and confidence, that is very impactful. So, yeah. 100%. So you talked about having this internship at Amazon and that kind of introduced you into the entertainment landscape. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering what was it that made you take that distinct leap from having that experience to them being like, okay, I'm going to now go back to school, (laughs) get my MFA, like do this whole program, really leap into this career that I didn't even deem a possibility prior. Oh my God. Well... The pandemic hit. (laughs) And I feel like a lot of people did a lot of self-reflection during the pandemic. I think for me, I was really enjoying my job before the pandemic, but I knew that it wasn't like the exact space I wanted to be in. Like, I think I was learning so much because when you work in like marketing and publicity, you 
are reading the news all the time. I had like different, so many different clients. Like I was working with like most studios and streamers. I was working with Quibi. I was working with like Quibi, RIP. Red Table Talk. I know, RIP Quibi. But like all across the spectrum of like new media, traditional media, like everything. So I was learning so much. And then there were so many events and stuff like that. So I was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm I'm good for now. But I knew in the back of my mind, like I don't want to grow within this space. Like it doesn't feel like I'm in the exact right place. I'm a very passionate person. And I think I know what in like in my gut when I'm like very passionate about what I'm doing. Yeah. And I could see that my colleagues were more passionate about it than I was. And I was like, that is a red flag. Like that means I am not in the correct space. Yeah. But I think it was just, you know, so busy and life was just crazy. And then the pandemic hit and then I, um, then all like the fun parts of my job got stripped away and obviously like entertainment was suffering. So I was like on some brand accounts and, um, I think I was also just like, yeah, I was doing a lot of reflecting and I was just thinking about how like I kept feeding myself that narrative of like I – this is my way to be a storyteller. But I was like, no, like I am passionate about pr- promoting the narratives that I, you know, love. But when you're in marketing, you can't really control what you're promoting. <laughs> you're just paid to promote whatever. But I was like, no, I think what I really want to do is – be a part of getting those stories made in the first place. Like I I just, you know, remember looking at scripts and projects and being like, how was this greenlit? Or like, who is making these decisions? Like, I think I was just very much realizing I was on the wrong side of the business. Mm -hmm. And so I was like looking into programs, the Peter Stark program, I had heard about it. And I think like, there's a distinction between the production program at USC and the producing program and the production program production program is kind of like more about the art of filmmaking and like how to make a good movie um, or TV show or whatever. But the producing program, it's, a, it's only two years. It's a very small cohort of 25 people per year. And that program is more uh, about how to get something made. So it's not about the art of making something. It's more how do you get something made in the industry? And I was like, that's what I want to learn. That's like why, you know, my parents even were like, what? You don't know anyone. You're not going to like, how are you going to go? This is such a risky career. And I was like, yeah, I want to learn how to get shit made. Um, I want to learn. And since I was always a dreamer, right, like I want to learn how to like not just things, let things be dreams. Like I want to learn how to actualize them into something that is existing out there in the world and is reaching a ton of people. So I was like, I don't know like what that means within filmmaking. Like I love writing. I don't know if I want to be like a writer, like a full-time writer. I love, I I like directing, but there was so much more to learn. Um, I don't think I'm a technical in terms of like cinematography and all of that stuff, but I was like producing just seemed like such a good combination of my skills. Like, cause you know, I did enjoy parts of marketing and pitching and like, I feel like it's a good combination of creative and um, more business skills. And yeah, so I applied to the Stark program. I applied at a very like interesting time in my life. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people in my cohort are very bonded because we all applied during, an, during a very interesting time with the pandemic going on. 
But I'm so, so thankful because I was the, la- the only program I applied to. I never thought I would go to grad school, but it was the only program I applied to. I applied at like 11.59 when the d- submission oh was gosh. due. I had to get like three. I know. It was crazy. I had to get like I, – I decided to apply like three weeks before the deadline. I had to get three recommendation letters. It was crazy. But so, so thankful I got in because it has definitely changed the course of my life for the better where I feel like I'm not – I felt like I was always compromising on like a dream, you know, I was like, yeah. And I remember my friends would like joke about this. They'd be like, you say every, I'd be like, ah, I'm interviewing for like a dream job because I felt, I thought that like working for like a multicultural beauty brand was like a dream. And then I was like, I thought working for like a multicultural marketing agency was a dream. And then I, and then, like, you know what I mean? They were like, you yeah. say everything is your dream job. And I'm like, it's because you're like, like I'm every- getting closer and closer I'm getting to closer it. Yeah. And closer. I was like, they, these, they were all like versions. They were all like stepping stones to the main dream. And so I feel like now I'm finally on track and it's a journey, but I finally feel like I'm on the path I'm meant to be on. And I've like been able to create this life where it definitely still has, has its ups and downs, but, um, and I'm like also in the first year of, freelan- of freelancing. When, while I was in Stark, I was working like pretty much full time. I worked my marketing job my first semester. And then my second semester, I was like assisting a professor. And then I did like a Broadway workshop in New York for a month. And then oh I gosh. started a, a full time job at a production company called Participant. And I worked as, as an assistant in development. And then as of April of last year, I've been like freelancing. And one of my first it was it was a lot of like music video projects but one of my first projects was the Coachella documentary so I mean that's incredible how were you able to get all of those opportunities was it just like cold reaching out to people like being like hey I'm a part of this program right now I'm just trying to get experience the Broadway workshop was like I was reached out to on Instagram which was crazy crazy (laughs) like I think I was I was like referred I don't I'm pretty sure I was referred but yeah, it is crazy. Social media has has opened a lot of doors for people. I mean, sometimes I find people through social media if, when I'm trying to hire people too, you know. Um, and then the job at Participant, which is a great production company, kind of operates at that intersection of impact and entertainment. Another dream job for me when I got that job. Um, but that was like through my program. They kind of helped like – get me an interview and like I interviewed with somebody who's an alumnus of my program and um yeah I had to do like the whole interview thing but I'm, I'm really glad I got that job and then and then yeah I the golden voice the Coachella doc was like my my partner on the project Zoe who's who's an incredible director um she and I we call it our or I call it our Delulu come Trululu because it was completely <laughs> delusional like we literally were like let's go make this documentary. <laughs> I was like full-time work. work. I had a full-time job. Uh, she did too. And then I had like night classes every single day. It was in my last semester of my MFA program. And I was also working on my thesis, which was insane. And then on top of that, I was like, yeah, let's go do this documentary at Coachella. <laughs> that's, okay. That's so wild. And let's just get into this documentary. Can you just tell us a bit of what it is how it came about. Casey, you said, Zoe, that you work with. Like, tell us the relationship between you two, all all about it. Yeah. 
So Zoe also went to USC. She was also class of 2019, but we like didn't know each other in undergrad. I don't know if you knew her, but um, I don't think so. she was in the media arts program. Like she was basically doing the major version of my minor. Um, and then she, you know, graduated and immediately started like directing and she's like uh, worked for big documentary directors. Um, but basically one of our mutual friends we had a lot of mutual friends and one of our mutual friends, Hannah, connected us because Zoe was working on a project in relation to dance. And her, Hannah was like, you should meet Magna. She's a dancer and she's in film. Um, so then we connected and then we just really got along. We really vibed. I feel like we really aligned in terms of like stories we were excited to tell. Um, and we also had like different backgrounds and skill sets and stuff. And then we were just kind of like always chatting ideas. And then when the lineup was announced in January of last year, I think it was a couple of weeks after we were like talking about it in February and we just noticed so much. Um, there was just a lot of media coverage in general about how international the lineup was <laughs> compared to yeah. previous years, like all three headliners, of course, with before Frank, the whole Frank Ocean thing yeah. happened, but like all three <laughs> headliners were non-white. And then there were three different languages in, in amongst the headliners, which was crazy. And on top of that, there were so many other like artists of international artists and artists with different like musical styles and backgrounds. And it was so cool to see. But also it, it was kind of like we were seeing like and also within like the South Asian community being like there being six different names and those six names representing like different regions within South Asia, which is pe something people don't really like realize is that, you know, there's Indian artists, there's a Pakistani artist, Bangladeshi artist. Um, in the past, Coachella has MIA, had MIA, who's from Sri Lanka, but there's so much diversity within South Asia. So we were yeah. like, this is such a special group of people. And like some of their music, you know, incorporates their cultural backgrounds or, you know, cultural um it's culturally influenced, but some of it is not. And that's totally fine. Like they all were like in a different, completely different genre of music and in different levels of their career. Um, and some of them were like artists of the diaspora, you know, like born and brought up in America or the UK. And then some of them were, you know, were born and brought up in the, their home country. And I feel like that was just so crazy to see because you've never, we've never seen anything like that in one space. You wouldn't even see anything like that within South Asia. Um, yeah. And there was just so much emotion and excitement, like Vogue, um, BBC Asia, like it, it was all over. Um, it was all over TikTok. It was everywhere. But at the same time, I was also seeing like other people react negatively to the lineup. And they were just like, who are, you know, like typical, yeah. like, who are these names? I don't even know these names. Like, this is the worst lineup in Coachella history, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, there's this disconnect. Like, it means so much to people. And this other group of people doesn't realize that. And I was like, I just feel like this is a very special historic moment. And we wanted to, like, we both really, really wanted to document it. And um, we had, like, a connection to some of the artists. So we, like, kind of, like, put out feelers and knew that some of them would be interested in, in being a part of it. And then we, like, found a way to pitch it to Golden Voice. First, we were literally, like – can we get your blessing to go make this documentary? <laughs> and they were like, we didn't even know how we would raise money, nothing. It was Delulu. 
and they were like they were like no we do not let outside production companies or producers come into Coachella and just like make a documentary but we love this idea it's very aligned with like the stories that we want to tell about our festival being you know evolving to like reflect a more international audience and it's really cool that you've pointed out to us how much this means to a community of people so they were like let's do it like the way to get around this is like you basically contract for us and we produce this with you and we were like oh my god <laughs> that's crazy okay i just like even want to know about the technicalities of all that how did you get a meeting with them like how did you, the conversation even begin like you're ta- you're talking point A to point Z. Tell us everything in the middle, like all the nitty gritty of how that actually came to be. If somebody's like, this does sound Delulu, but like Megna, walk me through if I wanted to do something like this, how could I do it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like we had our LA screening um, a few weeks ago and our Golden Voice producers, Ike and David, who were really wonderful to work with, they like gave opening remarks and they were like, Zoe and Magna came to us with this idea. And not only did they just come up, come to us with an idea, but it was an idea that they already had started working on. And I think like hearing that, like made me realize, oh yeah, like, I guess we like, we came to them and we were like, we are starting outreach. Like we had a pitch, like a, like a beautiful little like one sheet that we had created about like why we wanted to do this, the themes that we wanted to cover, like why, why, like for us, it was also like, we, we, we basically got in contact with Golden Voice only a few weeks before Coachella. Um, Oh, wow. And we got that through someone who was a graduate of uh, Zoe's program. So another Trojan. So the Trojan family is strong. Very (laughs) strong. And they like responded to the deck or the the one sheet and they were like let's do a call so we did a call and we talked about it and we were like you know we only had a couple weeks and it was like you know either we do this or the moment passes and we were like we just really really feel passionately that this is a moment that needs to be documented and we don't want that moment to go by um and I'm like forgetting all the little nitty gritty of like what we yeah, yeah. said, but that call went well. And then they invited us to come into the office and we talked a little bit more and um, we were doing a lot of work simultaneously to figure out how to get to every artist's manager and, or agent. I really credit like the community and network that we both have because they really helped. Like there were so many people along the way that like I tapped into that helped connect dots, you know, and I feel like that extra, that was like extra validation that this was something people wanted to see get made, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah. And I mean, we're just really grateful that Golden Voice, they they basically were like, you know, this is a story we really want to tell, but we want to make sure the right voices are telling the story. And they felt that we were. And, um, yeah, we're, I'm just so grateful that they like trusted us and empowered us to do it. And we didn't even know what we were doing. We just kind of got thrown into the Coachella craze. And like, <laughs> then I was like, I remember we like, we we're like, okay, I guess we're going to Coachella. We have to make this happen. We even ended up coming to the festival, not even knowing if we were going to get certain interviews or whatever. It was like very much, we were on the field, like just getting it done. But um, I remember after the festival, we like had everything and we were like, okay, so we filmed. 
now we have to now we have to actually create something good <laughs> yeah now we have to put it all together and that's storytelling now it has to come to life <laughs> exactly so so yeah it was a whole journey it was a but it was a very beautiful journey and then we had like the most amazing editor we spent like months in the edit room with him and really like worked hand in hand to like craft this story um Zoe, has a lot of documentary experience and directing experience. Um, and my experience was more in like narrative and music videos. And I've like worked with a lot of artists in that way. And then I have a lot of, a lot more like producing experience, but I think we just like really found this rhythm where we complemented each other. And then a lot of like the storytelling happens in the edit room. And we were really like hand in hand through that entire process. Yeah. I was going to ask like, how did you guys find this editor were they from the production company? Was it somebody that you guys knew that you wanted to help tell this story? Golden Voice recommended them, uh, re- recommended him, Barry. He's incredible. And we did like a call with him and he just seemed so like passionate about, like he's very passionate about music and he's worked with, we knew he knew how to like, you know, work with Coachella and yeah. work. Like it's 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 a different beast, you know? Um, so we're very very like he's like the MVP of the project he's amazing I'm wondering too like for some of the logistical points of this that if you've never done this before how did you know how to manage contracts with Golden Voice how did you know the background stuff that you were I guess that your guys's work was being protected because even though you are doing like this contract work with them you guys Mm -hmm. are putting in all this work so just, I guess, for somebody listening, if they were to enter into something like this with a big production company to make sure that you guys are protected. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that if we had had more time in between our like meetings with them and actually going out to Coachella, we would have ha- I like we would have been way more diligent about that. There was an element of like we were on a call and they were like, okay, like it's going to take some time to get paperwork and payment and all of that. Do you trust us? And I guess (laughs) we're like, I guess. And then we were just like, we just like need to get this made. Like, I think that's what happens when you're so passionate about a story. But like, I think that what was really important is me and Zoe were a team and we had a lot of great connections with agents and like industry people who we could tap into as resources and um we just like developed a very like trusting relationship with Ike and David and then we also started working with Chris Perkle who directed like the 20 years of Coachella documentary and he kind of became our executive producer and also started guiding us through some of that process but it was like it was a lot of like, you know, making sure we were on the same page, like advocating for ourselves, like, and trying to figure out how much it was hard because Coachella's never done anything like this before. They've never, they've done their 20 years of Coachella doc, but, but they didn't have like a system in place for bringing on producers to like produce a short doc. Like that's never been done before. So there was like, there was like a balance between I guess, demanding certain things and also being more, uh, what's the word, like flexible or understanding Mm -hmm. of other things that they had to still figure out. And I think what was really important was like 
making sure we trusted them and um, had like a team of people to tap into for like advice on resourcing, uh, on, res- on, on resources for like contracting and like how to like phrase certain things and ask for certain things. But it was definitely a more scrappy process than it would be when you're like actually, you know, entering into a contract with a very established production company because they're not really a production company, but they're, you know, now starting to be. Yeah. That's really interesting. It was a very like, um, trial and error kind of process too with trying to figure out how to navigate all of that. What did you feel like, I mean, was that the biggest challenge or I guess less than maybe the biggest challenge? What is something you wish you knew prior to starting this project? Oh, um, oh my God. I feel like there's two, two different questions. Like the, so there's like the challenge question, which I can talk about later, but what I wish I knew, I think, I feel like I was a little unaware of how, time-consuming a music documentary would be um, with just, like, dealing with six different artists and six different artist teams and, like, music clearances and, like, you know, Golden Voice that hasn't really done anything like this before. Like, I think I wish I I knew to, like, give more grace and space to that process because I think Mm. Zoe and I both thought that it would – happen a lot on a much shorter timeline and we also like budgeted according to that and then we kind of just had to like re-up our budget and like you know I don't even know if our hours correlated as properly as they should have to the rates you know what I mean but at that point we were so like attached to the project and I feel like now moving forward I know now to more realistically think about those things and and maybe to even like you know, include that into an agreement, a budget agreement or a contract, which is like this rate is for this amount of time. But if it extends beyond that, then, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And are you specifically talking about like the entire process of it, like from filming into editing to everything? So when you when this released, because this only released like a couple weeks ago from when this episode releases. So I'm like, was there a planned and an intended date that you and Zoe were thinking of when this would come out versus when it actually did come out? Oh, yeah. We thought it would come out in July. And oh, then we, okay. And, and then we thought it would come out in October. And then we thought it would come out in November. Got it. And then we were like, um, it was pretty much ready to come out like early December. But at that point, we were like, it makes a lot more sense strategy-wise to wait wait and release it with the 2024 Coachella lineup. But yeah, we we definitely thought it would come out earlier. We actually like, we were so delusional in the beginning that we were like, we want to release this by the end of May for AAPI Heritage Month. (laughs) It would have been cool. It would have been cool. It would have been cool. Were there just just so many like approval processes that needed to take place and so many different rounds of edits and everything? Yes. And I think I'm talking specifically to the post-production process. So like I think it took us a while to receive the footage after because there was just so much footage coming out of Coachella, right? And like I said, this is a new process for them. And then so it took us a lot more time to get started on the edit. And then 
uh, and then, you know, it just like took so much time for approvals. It took a lot of time to get um, artist teams to give us the green light. Like each person had to give us the green light. And yeah. we had different levels of closeness to different teams. So it took us a really long time to get to Jay Paul's team to like respond because Jay Paul. And then it took us some time to get Charlie XCX's team to approve it. And we were nervous that they wouldn't approve it. And we're just so grateful that they eventually did, but it took a very long time. And then, you know, with Diljeet, the big Indian um, Punjabi um, mm-hmm. performer, it, it was just like, you know, uh, yeah, that also just like took a couple different rounds of approval. And then music clearances was a whole different thing. We were working with um, someone from Golden Voice to help us with that process. But like I learned a lot about how it works with clearing music for documentaries and um, like what the MFN clause is and um, just negotiating that for each artist. It was just a whole long, long, long process and a lot of waiting. And that just pushes it back weeks by week by week by week, you know. You guys had to get feedback from artists that you didn't even interview but that appeared in the doc, correct? Yeah, because we inter- we interviewed three of the artists. And yeah. three of the artists didn't give us interviews, but one of the artists that didn't give us an interview, his manager gave us an interview. Um and then the other two, we wanted to include their music. And in order to include their music, we also don't, we also wanted to have them be okay, you know, with being a part yeah. of this narrative, right? It's not like we're just releasing their performance online. We're, we're including them in this story that is going to be on Coachella's platform that, you know, anyone can look at. And we wanted them to be okay with that. So, um, yeah, we, we, had to, we had to get the approval from everyone. Do you think with the experience that you had with this that you would do a music doc again? <laughs> <laughs> I would. <laughs> You're like, maybe. <laughs> no, I would. I would. Um, I totally would. Honestly, I had so much fun. I think that I learned a lot. And I would just need to be more patient about the clearance process and maybe even have like backup plans of like, like we did have to take out some of the music because the fees were too much. Um, But we at least had one song from each artist, which was important to us. Um, Yeah, I think I totally would. I, I had a lot of fun. I think I just need to, you know, do it with intention. And um, like for me as a filmmaker, the reason I want to be a, freelance is because I feel like I'm very format agnostic and genre agnostic like I really like like all kinds of content like I have a very specific taste but that taste isn't limited to a specific format like I love a feature film I love a drama I love a coming of age I love a thriller horror um but then I love docu-series and I love docs and then I love music videos and I'm really excited about new media. Like I, I make TikToks. I, I, yeah. I, I love it all. Like for me, it's, it's about all kinds of storytelling. And if there's a cool story, what's the best way to tell that story? You know, I never, I actually didn't even think I would do docs, but then this just felt like it needed to be a doc, you know? Yeah. I'm really actually interested in your freelance journey so far because freelance is a whole nother beast of just basically like being your own boss, making sure that you are getting work, doing work, the whole thing. 
if you could just speak to, I guess, some of your favorite parts about it, some of the hardest parts about it, and then also just any advice that you would have for somebody that's entering into freelance in your specific space. Yeah. Um, The freelance journey is very hard. I think you have to um, really want to do it. I think for me, like I asked a lot of questions. I asked myself a lot of questions. Um, I even asked a lot of of my questions when I went into this industry. Like, am I going to be okay with hearing no all the time? Am I going to be okay with this or that? And with like working on nights and weekends, but then maybe that means you have like a whole week where you're off, you know, like your schedule is very untraditional and you are in control of it. Um, But at the same time, when you're freelance, you it's really hard to say no to jobs. You might just like take whatever. And I feel like I'm learning how to like find balance. Like I feel like from January 2nd, I have not worked. I've not had a break. Like I've pretty much been doing a lot of work on nights, on weekends. Um, But then again, like in November, I was like way more free. Like it's just, it's just very inconsistent and you have to kind of be okay with that lifestyle and you have to be okay with setting boundaries for yourself too. Um, I started my freelance journey with a couple of projects lined up, which made it a little bit easier. Um, And so I knew I would be like, okay, for the next like few months. And then I was just, yeah, I just did a lot of like outreach. Like when you when you're trying to establish yourself as a freelancer, you have to be like a lot more proactive about trying to get jobs and pitch yourself. And then I think once you get to a point where you have a portfolio and like people are familiar with your work, then they'll start to like tap you for projects. And I just, Mm -hmm. I just knew like, that's what I'm working towards. I'm trying to like build up my portfolio because I think, um, that's what I was really excited to do. Cause I think when you're working full time in entertainment, it depends on what you want to do. Like if you want to be an executive, if you want to be an agent, if you want to be in development, like there's a pathway, there's a path you kind of have to follow. But I think I was like, even when I was working at development, I was like, I don't think I want to be a development exec. I want to be the producers that we're partnering with. And I was told that a lot of people want to be producers, but you either have to like work your way up in development so you can build connections and learn and then when you're at a point where you can break off and start independently like producing then you do that or you have to be very well connected already or you have to have a lot of money already where you can just start producing and I was like oh and I, and I thought that I would have to work in development for a few years before freelancing and then the Coachella project just kind of like was a blessing because it was like hey I have a project right now that I get to work on and, and shape the story and produce and co-direct it and um I was like you know there's no set pathway in entertainment and I I just kind of like wanted to give myself a year to see if with the connections the network the background that I have if I could just start producing now and not wait four years you know yeah and so it was it's been a journey but um yeah I think in the past month I've been really grateful because like with the release of Ascending, with some other projects that I have, with Ascending leading to more meetings and opportunities, I feel good about continuing to 
have faith in this journey and in the process. Yeah, it's a, it's a process and I think I've also like redefined what it means to be living my dream. And I think that for me living my dream is living a dream like li- like being on that journey, you know. It's it's not about like am I ever going to win an Oscar? Am I, am I, am I ever going to do this or that? I don't know. But if I get to like be living a life where I'm excited about what I'm doing and I'm like building because I like I love the process of building. I want to be patient. Like I don't want to be like everything needs to happen for me in the next year, you know. So I mean, I think that's a great mindset to have. It's also a hard thing to achieve. I think specifically when you're so driven, like you clearly are, patience is sometimes a hard word to remind yourself to practice because you're like, if something's not happening now, maybe that means something's wrong. But not necessarily, like every single step that you've taken, even when it wasn't within the realm that you're identifying as your dream now, it still led you to where you are. So you don't even know where you're going to be in the next five years based on what this next project is going to do for you, you know? So I don't know. I think it's really cool. From ascending and working with somebody else on this project, do you find yourself now wanting to do that more or do you like the solo route? Yeah, I think that when you find a collaborator that you're super aligned with and like like I said, we complimented each other, it like there will always be its ups and downs, but I think overall we had such a beautiful working relationship and we created something very meaningful out of that and I don't think I could have done it without her and I don't think she could have done it without me. Like we, like there's so many things with this whole Coachella project where I'm like, thank, thank God. <laughs> like yeah. like yeah. I, this just like, there's so many things that just fell into place in ways and, and things we didn't even think about, you know, but right. um, no, I, I like Zoe and I definitely want to continue working on projects together, but we're also doing our individual things and like, there's also other people that I'm trying to collaborate with. And like, um, I feel like, yeah, I, I, I think it, I think that it's hard. And I, that's why in this industry, when people find a good collaborator, they tend to keep continuing to collaborate with that person. There's a, you know, there's a lot of like filmmaking duos or creative duos because you just find that groove and you're aligned. Um, so I, I really like it because I think the whole point of storytelling is that you want to reach all sorts of people. And if you have more perspectives behind the scenes, then that leads to a better story, right? If you're aligned on the overall vision. Um, so yeah, I think it, it really just depends project by project. Um, but I think you can tell when it's like you, like this person and me are super excited about this and we're going to have a synergy. Like we're going to work on this together and we're both going to be, because I think that's a really hard part of creative partnerships is like sometimes some someone puts in more than the other and it's like, it's, it's hard. And I've been in situations like that too. But when you know that somebody is like, both people are going to like, you know, deliver and put equal effort and passion into something, then it's great. That's amazing. I want to ask you too, and maybe even should have asked you this earlier because I mean, we talk about producing, but I think a lot of people don't know the ins and outs of what that even means to produce a film. Can you kind of just like high level 
for people that either want to do it or just interested in hearing from you what it really entails to produce a piece of work? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like <laughs> everything. Producers do everything. I mean, there's different types of producers. There's like, you know, line producers and people who work in like physical production and are mostly involved with like below the line. And um, then there's people who are like specifically creative producers and they mo- work more on like the creative. Um, but I think the type of producer that I am now and I'm still learning because I think you learn a lot in school, but you learn so much more on the job is being a very holistic producer, somebody who can literally like manage a project from inception to completion. So that might be like, uh, like creatively work, working on something so that it's ready for production, you know, like working with a writer on the script and like working on the actual idea and concept but then also working on the packaging, which means like attaching crew members, attaching a cast if it's something scripted. Um, and then you're in charge of like pitching it to production partners and financiers and like raising the money. That's a lot of what producers do is like, how do we actually get a project into production? In order to get something into production, you need to have the money and so you're working on the budget and you're raising the financing and you're you're like creating the production schedule and then you're managing that you're also like managing different departments and I what I love about filmmaking is like you cannot do anything on your own you need like a ton of different people who have very specific skill sets and no one can do anything on their own you need somebody who's like has that eye for lighting and you need that somebody who has that eye for cinematography and for sound like you need all those different people. And so you create that crew and then you oversee production and then you you oversee post-production and then you can also like work on uh, distribution and marketing. Like you're literally doing everything. You're kind of like a project manager, but you also have like a more creative level of involvement and you're kind of like bringing a director's vision to life. Um, and also helping shape that vision so it's, like, ready for, you know, production and distribution. But there are different types of producers who specialize in, like, managing the post-production process or, like, you know, if you work in development, um, you – and if you're, like, a high-up exec, you get credited uh, credited as an executive producer. Of course, there are producers that just finance something and they get a producer credit. There's also, like, so many different, like um, – nitty gritty details around like negotiating for different types of credits right because like there's yeah ep credits producer credits associate producer sometimes there's a story producer like it's it's it varies by project it varies if it's scripted or unscripted but i would say like if you want to be like a producer producer you um yeah that's kind of your job is to to get a project from concept to completion yeah that's so many steps like everything that you just said there I'm like it's actually incredible do you feel I mean I'm guessing like kind of you alluded to this before but you learn the most on the job what is something like from the MFA program that you're like if I didn't learn that there I think I would be really struggling now mm. um I think I think a, a lot like I think I could have learned those things on the job. But I think like 
learning from so many, like one of our professors, Jeffrey Korchak is like, um, he's like the head of like business and legal affairs at Sony. And we learned a lot about like contracts and option agreements. I didn't even know what that was. It's like, okay, like, like I said, like if you have an idea, how do you get something made? I didn't know that like, you know, if you like a book or if you read a book that comes out and you're like, I want to adapt this book into a movie, you have to execute some sort of option agreement. You like, I just like learned about like processes, processes, a lot of processes. Um, I took like an incredible independent financing class, which taught me a lot about how to like pitch to investors and like create a deck and like, um, you know, all the things that people are going to ask you. And it's really intimidating. Like, I feel like this industry is so intimidating (laughs) and just knowing, knowing that and being in a classroom environment, getting to practice that, um, like I took a TV class, TV producing class, and all of our classes are taught by like. Uh, professionals in the industry, which is like they, they bring in their like real world experience. And that class was taught by Charlotte Coe. And she had us do like a simulation, like a buyer seller simulation where like, you know, you and a team acted like uh, a group of people that were trying to pitch a TV show to a buyer. And then we like flipped roles and then you were the buyer. And it's like just there were so many things like that that really helped um, yeah, I mean, that, that's just like a, f- a few, oh, I, oh yeah, I, I learned a lot in like a production and scheduling class where you, we learned how to use like movie magic budgeting and movie magic scheduling and learned, and I, I wrote a feature, I co-wrote a feature film for my thesis. So like we had to put together a full producing, cl- producing plan for that, um, which meant, um, literally like creating like a financing plan, like a production plan, a schedule, a budget, and all of those things helped us so much. Like it just like also eliminates a level, uh, like an element of imposter syndrome. You know, it's like, I know, I know what I'm doing. I know what this means. Like I've had practice, like all of that really helps. And that's what schooling is, is, you know, but I also think you don't need to go to film school for anyone who's listening. Like, um, you don't have to, but you do have to like seek out that education for yourself in whatever way, you know? And for me, I think the Stark program was exactly what I needed in that point in time. And like, I think I was working outside, a lot of people were working outside of Stark and the real work experience really like supplemented the classroom learning experience. Yeah. The combination of the two. Yeah. And actually kind of transitioning to speak about doing two things at once, like that double working like we mentioned in the beginning of this, you are very much too like a full-time performer, right? Oh, yeah. So you're a filmmaker and you're a performer and that's kind of like another thing in and of itself. I'm just curious because like I mentioned too, you have grown a social media following, like a really substantial social media following. You have millions of views on some of your TikTok videos. Like it's really crazy. <laughs> it really is incredibly impressive. And I'm curious as to kind of just how you did that. Did you feel like it was incredibly organic? Was it another thing that during the pandemic when you had more time, you gave more time to it? Just kind of talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, when I was in college, I was always like dancing for um, other choreographers or other dance teams. And I, w- I had so much fun, but I, and I was also so busy with college. But once I graduated – in 2019, I was like, 
I had my full-time job, but I was like, I want to now start creating my own videos and I wanted to make like concept videos for YouTube and I like collaborated with a lot of other dancers. And so honestly, my following started to grow more on YouTube first. Like I had like a video there that like went viral, got like seven, eight million views. Um, But those were like, you know, more production, higher production quality videos that I did once in a while. This is like before I got onto TikTok and um I remember like I have a little brother who's like six and a half years younger than me and he was all his friends were on TikTok and I was like this is so stupid like what is TikTok you know (laughs) but then when the pandemic hit um and I didn't get to do gigs and I was also I was also always doing dance gigs so I always had like an opportunity to perform but when the pandemic hit and I wasn't doing gigs anymore and I wasn't able to make these cool concept videos anymore and I was like I moved back home and I was sitting at home and doing my job and I was like kind of depressed. (laughs) I was like, I was like, I need that outlet. Like dance has always been an out, like a creative expression outlet for me. And I just started making TikToks and I made a lot, I forced my brother to do a lot of TikToks with me. And then I would post them on Instagram. I watch these. I'm telling you. Oh my God. I'm so honored. I'm a fan. dude. I'm really a fan. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know how they do this, but it's so impressive to me. Oh my God. Yeah. No, my brother and I, we both are performers and I feel like that's something we have in common and totally, I I was a big influence on his life, I will say. Um, (laughs) Can't wait for him to hear that. (laughs) No, I literally tell him this to his face You're so lucky to have me. I'm like, I paved the way for you. Like, (laughs) you owe me like dues or something, you know, cause yeah. he's trying to go do something in music and entertainment now. I don't know. Anyways, he's, <laughs> he's like a junior at, at, at UCLA. So he's still figuring it out, but well, competitor, yeah. I know, but I'm a double Trojan. So. Yeah. You are a double Trojan. You're a real Trojan. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would force him to do TikToks with me. And then we just started to like, I guess like some TikToks would get, would blow up. And then, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like the following just kind of happened. Um, and I think through TikTok, I met a lot of other dancers who were as serious about posting TikToks. And like, <laughs> it's crazy. Like now some of them are like my best friends. But then when I moved back to LA, LA in 2021 and um, yeah, we just like started to meet up, like started to post more. Um, and I think, I think the following just kind of, yeah, I guess it just kind of grew. It wasn't intentional. Obviously, now now that we know certain TikToks blow up, certain things blow up, there's a certain um, benefit to having followers. Like it can lead to opportunities and this and that. Now I am a little bit more intentional about like creating content, putting out content, but I'm also trying to like make sure I'm not putting out content that I don't want to put out. I'm also like at this weird place in my life right now where I'm like, Uh, I get nervous and I've never used to be anxious about social media. I was always that person who was like, I don't care. I I spammed my Snapchat story. I spammed my social media. Like I never cared about what I posted or or how people perceived it. But now um, I get a little nervous. I'm like, if I keep posting, spamming my followers with dance content, are they going to not think of me as a serious filmmaker? But then if I'm not posting enough dance content, I'm like, I have so much more I want to post and share with it's, it's confusing and I'm trying to navigate that right now, but I'm the following has just, yeah, it's just been, uh, it's just kind of happened. And I think it's 
it's happened because I just stuck to whatever I wanted to do, which was I wanted to make dance videos and put them out there and share them with people. And I never knew that like a following would come out of it, but it's been, it's been crazy. Like even just to see like young girls DM me and like look up to me in that way. Um, I feel like I forget that. Yeah. When I was like young, I never saw brown girls post themselves doing things in the way that I'm doing. And if that can like, even like inspire one person, then I'm like, I'll keep doing it, you know? I think it's incredible. And I also think like you talking about the balance between posting things about filmmaking versus posting things about dancing. While one may not always resonate with the other, depending on the audience, it's very possible that there is another little Megna out there that wants to do both, you know? So it's like- I love that you said that. Yeah. You never know. So I don't, and also you became authentically big in this way right Mm -hmm. it's like you were posting the things that you wanted to post and that resonated with people so I mean I'm not one to give you advice for any of this but I'm just (laughs) saying like be keep being you because it like it clearly people care that it's you and not that it's like some overthought process of what you should or shouldn't post like people clearly like you they they want to see you so whatever it is that you're doing I think that's interesting to people yeah no thank you thank you that really means a lot because that's something I try to remind myself of and I'm like that's been my whole goal in life ever is to just not have two different worlds like I some people have asked me like why don't you make a separate dance account and I'm like because I just don't want to like I feel like I want my one account on whatever platform it is to like represent just who I am as a person and and like dance is obviously a more public facing part of me like there's other things I want to do with social media eventually you know um but for now, like I just want to exist in this space. And if people are turned off by that, they're not meant to be, you know, in my world. Yeah. So, but it, it, it is a hard, it's, it's weird because like this never existed before, right? Like we're, we never had all these different apps and um, dancers never had public platforms in this way, which I think is amazing the what it's you know it's it's increased a lot of access for dancers it's increased a lot of financial opportunity for dancers um but it's just like a interesting thing to navigate because there isn't another like a lot of my friends who are dancers they do other like some of them are actors some of them are dentists some of them have full-time jobs some of them are full-time dancers like you know it's mm-hmm. it everyone has their own thing going on and sometimes i'm like am i the like i i want to find more people that are in my <laughs> specific we we want to dance and we were we want to make films and we're also like in this culturally specific space like it's it's hard but like I think you're right. There are totally young girls who want to do both. I'm sure there are people who will resonate or even if it's not in that specific way, just like being an example of somebody who can do multiple things and represent all those things and not have one thing take away from the other is something that I want to like, you know, continue to champion and think about. Yeah. I love also that you mentioned the kind of financial component of it. Like, sometimes needing to have another job Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in your experience in this though 
what has well, I guess what has your experience been has it been that you're able to self-fund yourself through both your production experience and also through your social media accounts and if so tell us how you're able to do that like are you part of like the TikTok creator fund like things like that to yeah. kind of just give people tips you know yeah I feel like like my goal for my first year of freelancing was I might not make any money like I might not add to my savings but I don't want to like dip into my savings I just because I need you know you need that cushion to like go do work and get yourself out there um and for the most part like I've made a little bit but for the most part I've like stuck to that like goal which which I'm grateful for because I was just like I just don't want to like lose any money yeah but um the social media has definitely helped to cushion that like um, cause also like, you know, my producing rates are going to get higher as I, you know, build up my brand and my portfolio. And then sometimes if it depends on the budget of a project, it just really depends. And like, sometimes there'll be like two months where I'm like really booked. And sometimes there'll be two months where I'm not as booked. Um, but the social media has been very helpful. Like, I feel like I think about it in the way where I'm like, okay, the, the like one job is helping me pay rent and like all those other normal things and then the other job is helping me with like all the fun things like I try to like yeah. think about it in that way but yeah I mean I am part of the TikTok creator fund uh it really varies how much money you can make I I, I do make money on YouTube um and reels used to pay a lot of money when they were trying to boost their Instagram reels now they don't as much because they like stop that program. But there's always like different ways for creators to monetize. And sometimes there'll be like brand deals. Uh, I also still do gigs. I also teach teach dance. So I, I do like privates. And then I also am starting to do more dance workshops. Um, and I and I and I appreciate that it's like I can be kind of like selective about that because um, I'm balancing that with like my another career but um but also like it's led to like opportunities that do intersect with film and tv like I got to dance at the unforgettable gala which is this Asian American awards show that I also like was at a table at with Goldhouse, this other com- this entertainment company I work at and those experiences are always like amazing where I'm like I love that I can like do both in the same space and then I was a dancer I never have I ever I've choreographed for music videos I've like I will like I've, co- I've danced for um, artists at live shows. So it really depends. And sometimes I've also like met people through my dance world that I now work with on a filmmaking capacity. And um, I think it's like, like you said, like I just like never know what's going to happen. <laughs> um, but I think really sticking to the spaces that I was passionate about has led to a lot of opportunity. And I feel like now... I know that will continue to come as I continue to foster it. So I hope that answers your question. No, it definitely does. And I love that you talk about the intersection too between the two. And I'm glad that you brought up Never Have I Ever because I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. Megna danced for a Netflix show season one of Never Have I Ever. And I want to know like how that opportunity came about. Were you a part of a dance group that was doing that? Did you help choreograph this like what what was your role in it yeah no I I 
so Joya Kazi, who was the choreographer for Never Have I Ever, for she did season one and season four. She's incredible. She's done so much other cool work. She was a new girl. She danced or she choreographed recently for Saweetie's latest music video. So but cool. she, she's the choreographer that I joined her company at the end of my freshman year of college. And like we just – she also taught me a lot. Like shout out to her in terms of like being professional in a creative industry because I was a cra- I was a crazy freshman. I remember like I slept th- I like slept through one of our rehearsals. I was just like all over the place. And she She's was like, like, Magna, stop it. She was like, this is why I don't like to work with college kids. Like you have to treat a rehearsal like you would a meeting. You have to do this. You have to do that. And I think that was like a mindset shift. I was like, if I want to be serious about uh, building this creative career. I need to be serious about it, you know, Um, and respect it in that way. And so anyways, mine and her relationship has just like, we've just danced together for so many years and um, she, she got tapped to choreograph that. And then she brought me on. Um, And I, yeah, it was, it was such a wonderful experience. And um, that was like, summer after graduating college. So I was also very new to my entertainment career. Um, And I remember being on set and like meeting the cast, didn't know who they were because nothing had come out yet. It's so crazy to see how big the show became because we never know. I know. It's like now they have all blown up and all of it. I mean, I love that show. Yeah. We never knew. I got so emotional when I was on set because I was wearing like the traditional Indian outfit and like all the shoes were outside and it was shot at the Sherman Oaks High School. And I was like, this is a Netflix film set? Like, this is like a scene from my childhood because at my local high school, I would do traditional dance shows and um, everyone would show up at the high school in Indian outfits and like on on a weekend and it was like part of my double life. And and then like, you know, in Indian households, you don't really – you take off your shoes – for like um, certain celebrations and or when you go to anyone's home. And so like even just seeing all these like shoes out there, I was like, this is crazy. Like this is a manifestation of like me feeling like, 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 or just this journey. Like it was like a very interesting mark of like, wow, like this is, there's, there's, there's going to be a shift and I want to be a part of that, you know? And I'm grateful to have been a, been a part of that through through the first season. And then it was crazy because, like, I helped market the premiere for the second season. And then for the third season, I danced on the red carpet for the premiere. And then for the fourth season, I was not involved, but we got to do a tribute for the show for the Unforgettable Gala. So I feel like every season of Never Have I Ever, I've been involved. I've, I've like, I have a memory, you know, whether it relates to my dance career to my entertainment career, and now most recently, like both, you know, because I um, I went to Unforgettable Gala as an attendee a couple years ago, and I was like, there needs to be a South Asian performance, and I pitched it to the organizers because I had worked with them, and then um, and then here we were, you know. I'm like, I love that's that you that's, pitched that's, that. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I mean, I feel like there's so many ways to be a producer, but I'm like, I want to see South Asian performers on that stage, and then. It happened, you know, so. That's amazing. And I mean, it's it's one thing for this show to have been made. Like, it's really so incredible. But also not only that, but for you to actually be as involved as you were with it. I'm just so happy for you 
that like the timing aligned so well because it's just so special that all of that happened and that that was kind of at a point in your life where you were ending something like college mm-hmm. was ending and you were like now starting your career. I feel like it, it was just such a cool time for you to be like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. And then, you know, season four, you're pitching something for this that wouldn't have been there if you hadn't pitched it, you know, mm-hmm. like it's really cool. Yeah, it is very special. And I think it's yeah, just like another reminder of like, I used to be so, anxious and nervous about my future all the time like even in college and now I'm just like trying to like chill out more just trust the process like I think I remember my cousin I have like one cousin who um is also in the creative space and he gave me like advice once and he was like uh as long as you're productive in the areas that you're passionate about good things will come to you and I think I always like resonated with that because I, I was I was always unsure like I don't know what my two-year plan is I don't know what my five-year plan is I don't know exactly what my career will look like but I know what I want I know the things that excite me I know what I want to be involved in I know the spaces I want to be in and as long as I'm like productive then and that's exactly what happened like I was productive in those spaces and then it has led to these opportunities and it, um and it will continue to because I know there's people out there who have and I have so many best friends who have like their exact plan for how they want their life to look and I've never been one of those people Um, me neither (laughs) yeah yeah so I think that piece of advice really helped you know I think that's really great piece of advice and while you said that you don't have a two-year goal or a one-year goal or a five-year goal I do still want to know what things do you have upcoming what does the future, the very near future look like for you? Whether it be like in performing, in production, filmmaking, anything. What do you have coming up that people should know about to at least keep watching out for? Yeah, well, I have um, a few more. Pro- I have a few projects that I'm working on. One is a music docu or two are music doc. One is, one is a music docu-series. One is a music doc. Another one is more like creative direction and music videos for an artist. Um, I'm working with a director that I'm really excited about. And then I'm also working on a couple of scripted projects because I think that's something where I'm like, I don't want to be boxed into just the music and like doc space. Like I really do want to tell scripted stories. So I'm working on two of those projects. Um, And then in terms of like dancing and performing, I am – Teaching like workshops. I have I have like a few gigs over the next few months. I feel like she has one in Dallas. Everyone <laughs> go sign up for it. <laughs> I have one in Dallas and then I'm gonna do Austin too. And then I'm actually um sorry, I'm going all over the place, but ascending. No. We're doing a screening for it in, in New York on the thirteenth, which I'm really excited about. And then we're also screening it at a film festival in London on March 9th. So I'm gonna go to the festival, screen it on March 9th, and then and then I'm gonna teach a dance class on March tenth. So I get to do both. That is so Um, amazing. Which will be really fun. That's something like I want to see both of those things. Like as somebody that's watching you from afar, I want to see what's going on with Ascending. And then I want to see what's going on the next day when you have to teach some dance stuff. (laughs) It's amazing. Like it really is so cool. That means so much to me because you have no idea how much I like go back and forth about this in my head where I'm like, 
people who care about this are not going to care about that. And people who care about that are not going to care about this. And I'm too no. all over the place. But that is that, – yeah, that really means a lot. Um, but, yeah, that's what my next few months look like. And then more long-term, I just want to keep, like, producing. I just want to keep – I think, like, I want to keep being inspired and, and um, tell, like I said – bring stories to the world that are across all those formats and genres so I love it I mean I know that you're going to keep doing it and you're going to keep doing it in the most unique individualistic but also bringing people in like all from everywhere it's crazy what you're doing like it really is so amazing but we're gonna have to wrap up this interview because I could ask you so many more questions (laughs) but I cannot take up all your time but before we do we're gonna do a speed round of questions okay 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 and they have to be fast all right I'm really bad just to leave people with a little bit more knowledge get them to know you a little bit more before they follow your entire journey because I know that they're going to after this okay okay favorite dance you've ever done favorite dance I've ever done um Okay, I will say it's 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 lol. This is so not fast. Sorry, lol ish gets this video I made like before the pandemic, but it was really special to me because my brother sang the song cover and then I created something to it with a friend who's a really talented dancer. Can people find that on YouTube? Where can people find that? Yeah, it's on it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. It's like we're in white outfits and we're throwing color on ourselves. Okay, amazing. Yeah. Okay, current person in your space that you look up to. So that could be either performing or production. Um, I look up to Ava DuVernay. Okay, amazing. Yeah. Someone you want to create with that you haven't yet. Oh my god. <laughs> like Doja Cat. <laughs> perfect. Okay, perfect. Favorite film or TV show you've seen recently? Recently, I loved Joyland. I loved um yeah, I love Joyland. Great movie. Okay. Are you going to Coachella this year? Yes. Who are you most excited to see? Um, Doja Cat. <laughs> okay. Uh, J Balvin, um, Ice Spice, um, AP Dillon. Yeah. Very cool. When you documented all of last year's Coachella, who was your favorite performer? I know it's going to be hard for you to pick, but you have to pick one. Okay, apart from the six South Asian artists, Burna Boy was my favorite. My okay. absolute favorite. Spiritual experience. Very cool. And then lastly, a quote that you live by. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. I love that quote. It's also on her Instagram. I knew she was going to have one here. But you know why I love that quote is because I actually know that it is true to you for how long that you've had that on your Instagram. There are people. No, but seriously, because people change their quotes like daily on this platform. Okay, you guys. But I have heard that quote apart from your Instagram and thought of you. Oh, my God. Isn't that weird? No, that's so funny because I've thought about removing it, not because it doesn't no, resonate, please keep it. but just because I'm like, why do I have this still this cheesy quote on my bio? But I keep it because it has helped me so much and it really works. Like I, if you just tell yourself that when somebody's trying to make you feel less than or you have imposter syndrome or you're – whether it's like related to your career or you're like embarrassed of your culture or you're embarrassed, whatever it is, it really, really helps. So – I think it's an amazing quote. I don't think that any quotes are cheesy. It's just something that somebody said that made you feel something. So that's that's true. Yeah, that's very true. 
Magna, thank you so much for coming on. Can you tell everybody where they can find you, find your work, see you perform, see Ascending, plug it all? Yeah, so most of my social handles are my at Magna C3, so that's M-E-G-H-N-A-C for my last name, three because my birthday's 3-3 and I've always been obsessed with <laughs> that number. Um, so Magna C3 on Instagram, TikTok, on YouTube, you can just type my full name. Um, and then Ascending is on the Coachella YouTube platform. Definitely check it out. Um, yeah. It's so well done, guys. You have to check it out. And like I said, she is an incredible performer. When you go see it, you're going to be blown away. I promise you. Oh Every God. single time you post something new, I'm like, how? Oh Literally my God. how? You're but Magna, kind. thank you so much for coming on. This has thank been such so a fun time. Like I've loved talking to you, catching up. It's just seriously, when I say that I feel like you're really doing amazing stuff in this space for so many people, people that are a part of your culture, people that are not a part of your culture, but maybe just need some inspiration to embrace their own. Like I really, I'm inspired by you. So thank you for yeah. coming and chatting. Thank you so much. This was so special. And I want to like do a proper catch up and hear about you. <laughs> a thousand percent. But thank you for having me on. It was, this was, this was amazing. Thank you all for listening to Excuse My Reach. As always, you can find us on all major streaming platforms. Like, download, share with your friends, be kind to those around you, and don't be afraid to reach a little higher. I love that. (laughs) 